Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. If you were around last Sunday, give me a wave if you were around last Sunday. Okay, probably half the room. Hopefully, uh, if you were here, you will remember uh, we're spending a bit of time reminding ourselves of the potency and the potential of the church when it's working at its best. And I think this morning we've caught a bit more of a glimpse of what that looks like. But we're doing that, we're reminding ourselves of this stuff because I think many of us have been in survival mode for so long now that it wouldn't be surprising if we'd lost sight of something of the power of the church when it's working as God intends. And so as we begin slowly but surely kind of opening things up again, we're using this really as a bit of an opportunity to re-examine the foundations of what it means for us as a church together and I guess as a new site sent out as well, what it means for us together to be radical disciples of Jesus, particularly around the call to love. So last time then, if you were here, you'll recall, we began by focusing inwards and we honed in on the way that we're to love each other in our church family. Next week, if you happen to come back here, uh, you'll hear us turning our attention upwards and looking at the call to love God above all else. And this morning, we're going to look outwards at the love we're to have for the world around us. Now, our core text last time round was John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus famously says to his followers, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And although last time we zoomed in on the importance of loving each other just as Jesus has loved us, really the whole thrust of this passage, I don't know if you noticed it even as we read it just then, the whole thrust of this passage is actually outwards. The whole point The whole focus is that we would prove to the world that we are the disciples of Jesus. And really, the main thing I want to help you see today is that this outward focus on the world has always been the heart of God for his people and therefore has got to be an absolute priority for us as a church too. And so, without any further ado, would you turn with me to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Just to say, uh, this morning uh, already has been a little different to how things would normally go. We'd normally spend a little longer singing and worshipping. There would have been more opportunity normally for contributions from the floor. Uh, And normally, when we open up the Bible, we home in on one passage and spend a little while unpacking it 
sentence by sentence, word by word, syllable by syllable, letter by letter. But today we're going to go the, the other way and we're going to take in a, 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 the overarching story of the Bible. And so not just one passage, but a, a, a whole bombardment of passages. Uh, so fasten your seatbelts, get ready for an adventure through the whole Bible, starting off in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. It says this, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now, a number of things, quick fire, that I want you to notice here in these verses. Number one, God's desire from the very beginning is to bless all of humanity. Let's let that sink in for a moment. In the beginning, the original plan, the original intention of God is to bless all humankind. Second thing I want you to notice here, that blessing is not for a specific small group of people. No, it is to expand and fill the entire earth. Just notice the scope of this. Having blessed them, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. You see, God's original plan encompasses all people. And then third thing to notice here, before we move on to the next part of the story, the conduit or the vehicle of blessing is humans. Who's God speaking to here? He's speaking to Adam and Eve, isn't he? And he's saying, through you is coming a blessing that will encompass all of humanity. But if you know the story you'll know it begins to go downhill pretty fast. That The first family on earth, I think it's fair to say, has massive dysfunction. Not only that, they have pretty big trust issues. For starters, they won't trust God. God wants to bless them. God wants to show his favor on them. God wants to do them good. But all the time, they, they want to pursue the good life on their own, in their own way, on their own terms. They have trust issues with God. They have trust issues with one another as well. The first children, Cain and Abel, one murders the other. And things really spiral downhill from there on. The first 11 chapters of God's story are this downward spiral of humanity trying to do it on their own. And it never works out well. But despite all of that, God is still determined to bless the world. And so if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, we see, if you like, God's plan rebooted. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now as we've seen, what God wanted to do through Adam fell off track. And so here he starts all over again with Abraham. 
He will now be the conduit or the vehicle for blessing all people on earth because God's intention has always been to bless all people on earth. Two things I want you to notice just in these verses. Number one, I want you to notice the repetition of blessing. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others I will bless those who bless you all the families on earth will be blessed through you we can't miss it kind of there's bless and bless and bless and blessing and blessed all through this passage and then the second thing to notice is this the emphasis all the way through this is not just on blessing but is on God go to the land that I will show you I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. It's like this overemphasis on God's part in all of this, that the message is loud and clear. God's the one who's going to do this. Now again, let's just pause there for a moment. You and I, like Abraham, are blessed in order to pass on the blessing. Whatever it is that you have, whether it's experience or skill, whatever you own, your money, your possessions, whatever you know, that the time that you have, you have been given things Everyone in this room, the youngest to the oldest, has been given a deposit by God to steward. And the focus is outwards. It is not merely or even primarily for you to use for yourself. No, it has been given to you in order for you to give it to others. If you like, God's people, us, would be like a river. We receive from God upstream and then down the line, we then give it away. We're not to be like a stagnant pond with the blessings that God gives us or the experience he entrusts to us, the knowledge, the time, the resources we have. No, we're to be like Abraham, blessed in order to be a blessing. And this is the essence of the mission of God, that all the nations of the earth would actually, in some way, tangibly, physically, be blessed through us. Listen, you have been given something that other people need. And if you hold on to it, it stagnates, it dies, and you will be accountable to God for that. So instead, the invitation of God is to share the blessings you've received from him out with others. Okay, let's move on. Turn over to Genesis chapter 17. In this passage, God confirms, he elaborates on his initial blessing that there are more details that come out here what is this blessing that that God has for all humanity well he drills down into it a little deeper verse one when Abraham was 99 years old the Lord appeared to him and said I am El Shaddai God Almighty serve me faithfully 
and live a blameless life. I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham. Instead, you'll be called Abraham, for you'll be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. So much that we could get out of that just a few things again just to highlight to you first of all I want you to notice that the language in these verses it is familial God says you'll be the father of many nations notice secondly it involves now not just people but kings as well and then notice thirdly it is an everlasting it's an eternal covenant the message is of abundant descendants and eternal faithfulness and again notice it is all down to God and the impact will be far wider than Abraham and Sarah could ever have imagined even kings will be caught up in it but if you know anything of the story of Israel as the story progresses, it becomes increasingly apparent how difficult it is for God's people to remain faithful to God despite his abundant blessings. And really, that is the tension. How in the world is God going to bless the whole world through his children when his children can't help but mess up and run away from his blessings again and again and again. Not only that, they can't stay faithful to the mission that God has given them. That They're called, aren't they, to, to go to all the nations with the blessing of God, with the knowledge of God. But they are so forgetful, they get so easily distracted. It's kind of like an ambulance whizzing to the scene of a dreadful car accident. This is a vehicle commissioned to, to go and help people in distress. But it's like the ambulance gets into an accident of its own en route. In a nutshell, that is the story of Israel. If you like, the saviour ends up needing to be saved. The rescuer has to be rescued themselves. Turn with me to Isaiah. We're doing good work here. We, we, it looked like we were going to be in Genesis for quite some time, and some of you I could see you getting slightly nervous. How are we going to deal with the whole Bible and be done by, well, before 12? Well, we're now in Isaiah, so uh, making good progress here. The prophets pick up on all of this, and basically they've got two main messages to Abraham's descendants, Israel. The first message is this. Look, you guys, you've blown it. You're way off track. You need to repent. And the second message is this, but God is still going to do 
what he promised. There you have it. You don't need to read any more of Isaiah or any more of the Old Testament prophets. Basically, they're communicating those two messages. And we see those two themes in the opening chapters of Isaiah. In chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. That is the prophetic commentary on how Abraham's children are in relationship to their God. But the good news is, verse 18, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you'll be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's like over and over and over and over again through the Bible, we see God coming to his people as a father who is heartbroken over the state of his children. He will go to any lengths to come and find them. And there is always forgiveness. There is always restoration if they return to him. You know, my sense is that for some here today, actually that right there is the message you need to hear. And of all the other stuff, this is what you need to hear. This is for you. There is absolutely nothing that your Father in heaven wouldn't do to run after you, to forgive you, to show you grace, to show you mercy, to accept you where you are and bring you home. You know, it's been a hard year, hasn't it? Some of us, over this time, we've taken a real beating. Some of us, it's like we're trapped in behavior, we're trapped in addiction, and we feel so unusable. But if God could use Israel, despite all her failings, I assure you there is still hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. Really, my appeal would be, do not turn away and refuse to listen. Instead, won't you run into the arms of your heavenly Father, who is able to forgive and restore Maybe if that resonates with you, you could grab me or grab someone else who you know here, who you trust. Just get them to pray for you when the meeting closes in a short while. 
But returning to our story, still got over half the Bible to deal with in little to no time. The prophets are very honest about the need for Israel to repent. But they're also wonderfully honest about the future hope. Look at this in Isaiah 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Now, just by way of an aside, you remember the occasion when Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem and started turning over the tables of the money changers. He, he was angry, he was furious, he was livid because the temple was supposed to be the house of prayer for the who? The nations. But Israel had lost the plot, created all kinds of boundaries and rules and regulations to keep the nations out of the temple, out of the presence of God. And that's what riled Jesus so much. But Isaiah is saying there will be a day when all the nations will stream into the very presence of God. Verse 3, people from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach on, uh, teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. It's like the very thing that Israel was supposed to do but failed at God is saying it will still come about. And guess who's going to do it? The Lord himself. Now, you're doing well. There's just one more Old Testament stop before I gently bring this into land. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, another prophet with another future vision of what the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham will look like. These promises are just sprinkled, scattered through the scriptures so that God's people remember through tough times, yeah, we might have lost the temple. Yes, we're in captivity. Yes, we're in exile. Yes, we're back in the land, but oh, now Rome's here. But there will be a day when God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled and all the nations will be blessed. It's coming. It will still happen. And here, in this incredible vision of Daniel, we get just a snapshot of what that day will look like. You ready for it? I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, just thought a bit of audience participation, but we'll let that one go. Uh, Daniel 7, verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey or worship him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is just a magnificent, a beautiful picture of the multi-ethnic people of God. People from every race, nation, language, tribe, and tongue gathered around in the presence of God, caught up in worship. Now, against that backdrop, all of that was the introduction. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Jesus, the Son of Man, 
the fulfillment of Daniel's vision, he meets his disciples after his death and his resurrection. We're told that some of them believe, but it's very honest, it says some of them that they have their doubts, but they still go out to meet him. That they know uh, so many of the stories from the scriptures that we've just looked at. And in that moment of meeting Jesus, it's like the light bulb is about to be turned on. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see the parallels with Daniel chapter 7. One like the Son of Man says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That this is the king whose kingdom will last forever This is the one who came from the line of Abraham, where Israel failed again and again to keep the Lord. Jesus obeyed the Father even unto death. Where all the other prophets and kings one day died, this prophet and king conquered death and came out the other side. And in this moment, the disciples finally get it. And so, in light of All of this, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is another way of saying Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. And it's an outworking of the promise way back of many children given to Abraham, not just biological children, but children of faith. Paul picks up on this in Galatians 3, verse 7. This is the the final Bible passage of the morning. Galatians 3, verse 7. Paul says, The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the Scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, those who were excluded from his people, and God would make these people right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Listen, this has been the plan of God all along, that all nations would become one family under God their father by faith. Now, if I've managed to convince you, hopefully I have managed to convince at least some of you, what response is called for? Quick fire, three things, then we're done. First of all, first response that all of this calls for, I think it calls for repentance. We need to repent. What I mean by that is we need to kind of change our thinking You know, this has been perhaps the most challenging thing for me as I've contemplated all of this. Uh, I need to change my thinking and repent of thinking that God's mission is really just about me. Now, Now, God's mission is so much more, so much bigger than me and 
my family and my church, bigger even than my city and my nation. You know, some of us, we desperately need our thinking refreshed. We, we need it updated. We, we need to remember the story of God. It's about the nations. And certainly, you are part of that, but it doesn't stop with you. I think we need a vision for something bigger than us. And this morning, we've been catching a little bit of that. You know, one of the things that I think COVID has done is it shrunk our world right down. But this morning, God is wanting to expand our vision again to see the world around us. And where there's a reticence or a reluctance, at that point, we need to repent. We need to turn from just focusing on ourselves and our own interests and change our focus out to the world around us. Where I'm just consumed with my will and my interests and my preferences and my comfort and really what's best for me in the stage of life I'm in right now. Now, I need to come and submit all of that to God and his will, God's mission, the needs of the people around me. And what's best for those who God is wanting to reach through me? First of all, perhaps some of us need to repent. Secondly, some of us need to go. There's a sense in which all of us need to go. But some of us actually need to uproot from our current cultural context and move to another one. Could be short term, could be long term. But you need to go and be part of the blessing of the nations. Now, the call to go could mean moving to another part of the world, like Helen and Jess were talking about earlier, or simply moving to another part of this city. One of the joys of living in a place like Birmingham is that the nations of the world are here. We prayed earlier, didn't we, for our east site. Perhaps some of you need to seriously consider joining them They seek to serve such a rich variety of people from different nations. And there's already been flagged up. I'm pretty confident Tim and Liz would be more than happy to chat with you if you're feeling some of God's promptings to join them. And just to say, and this is important, a big part of the blessing of going is that you learn from the nations. We don't go as the saviour. That's Jesus' role. We don't need any more saviours. That's Jesus. That, That role is taken already pretty magnificently. We go with humility. We go to serve. We go to learn. But some of us, we do need to go. Thirdly, we all need to rediscover mission or living. Some people need to go overseas. We all need to go to our neighbours. G.K. Chesterton says this, we have to love our neighbour because she is there. He is the sample of humanity which is actually given to us. Precisely because he may be anybody, he is everybody. In other words, Whoever is your neighbor, that is who you're called to love and serve in Jesus' name. You know, I think some of us need to stop complaining about the city 
and start loving the city. And by that, I mean the people in our city. Look, you, you may not feel particularly connected to Birmingham as a place. You may be able to think of plenty of other places that are more attractive or comfortable. I certainly can. Maybe you can't. Maybe you think this is heaven on earth. Maybe you think of better places. But I'm not talking about having to develop these kind of deep feelings for this place in order to stay here. I'm talking about the million plus people who live in this city. Just as Jesus looked out over his city, Jerusalem, and was moved by the plight of the people there, he's wanting us to be moved for our city, both emotionally and also physically. He's calling us to move out of our comfort zone and show love in practical, tangible ways. So, as I close, a few thoughts, a few questions just for you to reflect on as you go. What if we are here in Birmingham, this time, this place, on purpose? What if we're here because God has placed us here on purpose? What if what the city needs at least in part, is us. What if God is sending the nations to our doorstep and calling us to simply open our door to them, to learn from the example of our brothers and sisters at Church Central East, welcoming others into our home, including them, loving them, caring for them, being family to them. Remember, All of us were on the edge once, and we're now called by God to reach out to others on the edge. What would it look like for us, for you, to respond to that call? Are you willing to respond to that call?